Hey everybody, welcome to Photography Chat, Season 2, Episode 29. Uh, we're going to have uh, Michael Delacross, uh, also known as Retro Photo York, on with us today. Uh, let's see if we got him in here. There we go, he's in. Let's invite him into the video. How's it going? Hey, Merlin. How you doing? Good, good. On the road. What, uh, what, where are you at right now? Uh, right now, we're in a Penske truck in, I think it's called uh, Lovelock, Nevada. No That's clue. <laughs> no clue where that is, but we're here. <clears throat> I saw your uh, your pictures earlier of the uh, the haul you got there. It's looking pretty impressive. Yeah, we filled up uh, a Penske truck, a uh, twelve uh, uh, footer, you know, floor to ceiling, and it's full of uh, thirty five millimeter SLRs, uh, lenses, a lot of primes, a lot of wide angles, uh, you know, Nikon, Canon, Pentax, Minolta, you name it. Nice. That's exciting. So you're gonna. Now it's the big task of getting them home and testing them all to sell them. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a twenty six hundred mile road trip back home, uh, about forty one hour drive, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be uh, a challenge. Um, but you know, loading them into the new shop is going to be great, and uh, you know, the our garage in the back has a conveyor belt, so it'll do a lot of the work for us. Uh, John's camera shy has a question for you. Where are you sourcing all of this from? Uh, well, most of the time, the uh, cameras, <clears throat> you know, camera collections that I come across, uh, it's either by referral or somebody that I've done business with in the past. Um, there's, you know, you can go on Craigslist, you can go on Facebook Marketplace, you can go to all these different places, but you're not going to find a large quantity uh, in one false swoop. And, you know, when you come across them, you, you jump on them. Otherwise, they'll go missing. That's fair. Yeah. So for, for I'm, I'm sure a lot of people here are aware of who you are, but if you want to take just a quick moment for, for some of the folks that may not be familiar, just say like a, a little bit about you. Yeah, so um, uh, I'm Michael Delacros, uh, run a uh, brand new shop called uh, Retrophoto Redding in Redding, Pennsylvania. Uh, just recently acquired it. Uh, so we'll be, uh, you know, running a full camera shop based on film, film cameras, film lenses. Uh, we have our own repair facility. Um, you know, for myself, uh, you know, I'm an individual that has loved film photography, you know, since I was uh, a kid and uh, took the obsession a little further and uh, projected myself out into the analog community, acquiring gear, um, and then just kind of creating a name for myself, you know, uh, east to west coast. That's why. So how how did you get started doing the the like sort of uh, camera sales and things like that? Yeah, originally it was actually kind of weird. Uh, I used uh, five hundred dollars that I won on a lottery ticket, and oh. when Craigslist was just happening, and uh, you know I just wanted to find a side hustle, and you know I loved film cameras and lenses, and came across a nice lot and bought it and made some money, and uh, you know I worked for several companies. 
as well as, uh, you know, assistant buyer for KEH. Uh, so, you know, traveled and bought gear. Um, so definitely built up the knowledge of knowing how and what to look for when acquiring cameras and lenses. Um, you know, whenever I look at a camera or I look at a lens, I know exactly, um, you know, what the faults are um, to identify. And uh, as these, as the equipment ages, it's a, um, uh, it's unfortunate, you know, it's, uh, there's a lot more wrong with this stuff than just uh, by the, by seeing, by seeing, you have to kind of play around with them, shoot them. And uh, that's why the, you know, selling film cameras and lenses and being able to stand behind what you sell is uh, quite important because eBay is not the place uh, to buy, you know, people find cameras in their closet and they put it on eBay and they want to sell it for what I'm selling it for. But uh, all the equipment is serviced and checked out before, you know, I want to stand behind what I sell. Yeah, because when stuff just sits around for a while, it gums up and kind of dies. And... Oh, yeah. Well, even this haul, you know, this, uh, there's, you know, there's one of the the units uh, was, I think he hasn't looked at it at it for 10 years. So it yeah. just, just sat. Um, but, you know, this individual was collecting for a long part of his life. He used it as a business and uh, just needed to get out. So here I am. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've got a not only a long drive ahead of you, but a, a big task of um, all this sorting out. Yeah. And that's the, you know, having before I didn't never had the space. So now having a 9,000 square foot building, you know, I could utilize the space and uh, make sure that, you know, when somebody comes to the shop and they want a camera, you know, if they want a FM2N, you know, I'll have six of them and they can choose from the FM2N, which one that they like, if they want a black one, a chrome one, uh, beat up or not beat up, so. That's wild. I kind of like ones that are a little beat up a little bit. It gives them a little bit more character. Personally. Yeah, a little bit of brassing, you know, definitely uh, goes a long way. Yeah, like that's, I, I used to have a, an F3 HP that I really loved because it had really nice brassing on it and um, it worked beautifully. Um, I just never really shot with it much. So before no. I, I know I traded it for a GW 690. Um, and I think I made out better on that trade than. Oh yeah, definitely. They're <laughs> hot cameras right now. <laughs> they are. Thanks. Willem Verbeck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, and that's the one thing, you know, a lot of these cameras people promote and the, you know, the value value goes up on them. Uh, it's, uh, you know, just a trending source. A lot of people go after Yashica T4s and, uh, you know, Pentax, you know, uh, Pentax 6.7s. You know, a lot of it's hyped up and, you know, some cameras are really awesome and then other ones are so-so. Uh, but, you know, I always caution people with electronic cameras. Um, you know, when they die, they die. And there's very few people that do service them. Yeah, that was uh, why I saw, I used to have a 35 Ti and such a beautiful camera like Nikon did such a gorgeous job on that but there was always that sort of thought in the back of my head that like one day I'm gonna turn it on and nothing's gonna happen yeah and I was kind of like I don't want to be the person that happens to <laughs> so. well even even the little dials on them as you they kind of fall out you know out of sync and uh, yeah it's but you know, once uh, you have an electronic error, just like the um, like a mini luxes, 
uh, you know, they give you an arrow O2, they can be serviced, but, you know, very few people know how to do so. Yeah, well, even with like my, my main camera now is a Nikon F5. And I know that one day, it's just gonna die. And yeah, made peace with that. Yeah, I, I think it's nice that there's individuals out there that are trying to repair cameras. And I think that, um, you know, we do need more, you know, skilled techs that are out there. Um, you know, there's a learn camera repair on uh, Facebook that people, um, I think Eugene Pate runs that. And, uh, you know, it gets people into, uh, you know, being able to get a little bit more serious about, uh, you know, fixing the cameras. And if you're uncomfortable with fixing cameras, send it to somebody that knows how, because, you know, one more dead camera out there is not going to help the, our cause. No, not at all. And there's like lots of cool things happening. Like I, I noticed earlier on OpenSX70 popped in. They're doing some cool stuff with Polaroid cameras. Um, and Take always talks about how much spare parts you have. So it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of spare parts. Uh, you know, I would say I always tell people I have about 10 million new old stock camera parts. And I try to share them with the community um on camera center of york.com uh, which is another shop that i supply equipment for um and you know there i think they have probably about maybe five million parts there but we could probably build a couple nikon f's from scratch uh you know just from just the sheer parts um so it, it's um you know we'll try to service as many cameras that are out there and having that many parts definitely does help um but you know, the parts that go bad on a camera are the first ones we run out of. Um, and that's, you know, just a reality to uh, uh, the repair business. Yeah. Well, and also you gotta think like some of these cameras are so old, like, you know, you look at Leica M3s, some of those have been around since like the 50s. Yeah. Um, my C33, I think is from like the 60s. Yeah. And most yeah. of them are still trucking today. Yeah, there's a lot of cameras out there that will definitely stand the test of time, um, you know, and uh, everybody that's using cameras, you know, it's uh, definitely does help. Uh, I think, um, you know, the more that we could, uh, you know, service the cameras and make sure that they're going to last longer than our usage uh, for the next generation, you know, this goes on. Uh, but if you break a camera and you just throw it away, they're not making them again. So, uh, you know, think for the future. Yeah, I think that's an important uh, sort of point to hit is like even broken cameras still have um, some value to them to help the community. Oh, yeah, like, you know, you break something within the camera, the camera doesn't function, you know, the battery cover, you know, just the, the battery, you know, cap that's on the on the camera could help another person be able to use their camera. Um, something ever so simple as that. Um, you know, you go on eBay and you look for parts and, you know, you, you're trying to find a part that you can't find that's going to make your camera work properly. You know, it's, you know, as much as you can save, the better. You know, even in this hall, you know, uh, there's a bunch of lenses, there's a bunch of cameras that do, you know, need help. Um, and we can scavenge some parts and make cameras that work. And, you know, all the better for the community. That's exciting. So... In the before times, um, did you used to like hit up camera shows and stuff like that too, like the the big like exhibitions? And... 
Yeah, like I used to go to camera shows. I used to go to the the one in Toronto. Um, you know, of course, being from the U.S., we'd have to cross over. But uh, there was a camera show at the Toronto Delta. Um, I forget what that show was called. Um, but, you know, just the same as the U.S., there's, you know, cam there used to be camera shows in New Jersey, uh, Second Sunday Camera Show, um, Photorama, uh, which, you know, I both know Abraham. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, you know. And uh, but yeah, those camera shows, you know, I, I think the younger crowd missed out, you know, uh, uh, pre-COVID. And, uh, you know, I'd be able to go to the show and find, you know, Rolly Flex 2.8 Fs and get a great price or a fair price. Um, and, you know, now looking back at what I purchased cameras for back then and what they are now is, is insane. You know, the yeah. way they increased. One, I, I miss being able to go get like expired film hauls. Oh, yeah. Expired film is just one of those things that um, you don't come across it often enough. Yeah. And uh, I, I think, you know, when I do come across it, even at the shop, like I have a bin of just uh, expired film. And you know, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to charge you 20 bucks for, uh, you, know, you know, or 100 bucks for a roll of uh, uh, extra chrome infrared. You know, it's going to be affordable, something that you can play around with. And um, there's no guarantee with expired film. Uh, well, that's interesting. So when, when you talk about like the, I get like price gouging on film, I, I run a like film trading Facebook group. On, mm -hmm. and, um, one of the members posted five pro packs of Fuji pro 400 H and just jacked up the price on it. Just being oh, like, yeah rare and it's like but it, it's not yet like it, it is discontinued but there's still lots of places where you can buy it fresh right now and it's like too soon man like <laughs> well and and that's the thing it's uh you know as soon as something goes discontinued you know everybody goes crazy on price and they want to have it and even 400h most people didn't shoot 400h and yeah. now it's a thing you know i had uh i forget it was like seven or eight hundred rolls of 400h offered to me but I did not buy it because, in my opinion, I didn't feel right offering it to my clientele at such a jacked up price. Yeah. Um, you know, it was going to cost me a lot of money. But, you know, long story short is I refrained from making the purchase because I didn't want to be that seller that, you know, uh, FP100C, you know, they charge you 90 bucks for a pack or 100 bucks a pack. You know, it's, you know, six years ago or five years ago, it was 13.95. Like, you know, you don't, you don't want to follow the Brooklyn Film Camera School of Business. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think everybody has you know, priorities. You know, everybody has a different overhead. Um, you know, there's different ways of looking at it. You can acquire the film and know that you could give it to somebody that can appreciate it. Yeah, you may have to buy it and pay up for it, but you can get your hands on it. Um, but, you know, I've never been a fan of, you know, forging uh or taking advantage of the situation like when portra uh 400 around christmas time uh was a little bit harder to come by um i think there was like a place called like focus camera that was char charging like 80 bucks for a pro pack and you know it was some crazy number that you know uh in comparison to cost it was they were doubling up and they shouldn't have um but i, I think people are going to do what they're going to do to survive and more you know i guess more power to them to a degree, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, 
right now the film community is kind of feeling a little bit of a pinch on film and the film availability. Um, you know, portraits being uh, is becoming very hard to come by, uh, at least for sourcing large quantities. Um, and uh, I heard somewhere, and I could be wrong, but I heard uh, that Portra, Portra 400 or Portra in general uh, is going to be um, uh, back ordered for like two years, uh, which is kind of scary because it's the only pro 400 film out there uh, that people love. Yeah. So two years with COVID, that's yeah. five years next year, maybe. I don't know. That's that's kind of scary. I haven't heard that one. But I also have been noticing it's exorbitantly higher now. Like, I dropped off some film at a local lab here in Vancouver, and uh, they had Portra for 20 bucks a roll. Yeah. Well, I, I think in uh, Canada, um, your prices of film are generally higher. Yeah, we, we do get bent over a barrel a lot more than you guys do. Yeah, there, there was a point in time, like I did an event called uh, Analog Revival uh, with Abe, and we ended up having like, I don't know, 5,000 rolls of expired film and you know maybe 50,000 uh, feet in bulk roll film. And I do want to bring it back post-COVID, uh, uh, hoping that um, you know we can provide something like that maybe in New York City uh, or even push towards Canada and do like an analog revival uh, standpoint there. Yeah, Abe is the goat when it comes to expired film. Like He's the source. That <laughs> dude, like... So I, I've got like a stash of Agfa Chrome I've been sitting on that it all it all came from Abe. I know where that came from too. Was that like uh, like a year and a half ago? Uh, just before COVID, yeah. I know exactly where that came from. <laughs> where, did that, where did that come from? Uh, it was uh, one of Abe's friends uh, in Michigan. Um, wow. He had a, a huge, a couple of huge fridges full of film. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> Yeah, well, so the Agfacrom RS-1000 is, like, one of my all-time favorite films to shoot with. And he had bricks of it. Like, yeah. endless fire bricks, yeah. Yeah, he was like, how much do you want? <laughs> yeah, he's a lot of film. And it, I think still he probably has maybe five to 10,000 rolls. Uh, so being able to do another event, uh, you know, either if it's in the U.S. or Canada, I think is would be great. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I miss seeing that guy too. He's a character. He's, yeah, <laughs> he's definitely a character. Like, it's um, and and that's what I miss from the camera shows, is the characters you come across there. Like, um, at the same one I bought all the Egfrachrome RS one thousand from Abe from. Um, There's another guy that I wanted to buy. He had some old, I think it was Ilford paper or something. Yeah. And, <clears throat> There was some five by seven and some eight by ten, but then he had some like really like eleven by fourteen stuff and, and all these things and I'm like, what do you want for it? He's like, well, it's ten bucks if you take it all, but if you just want the five by seven and the eight by ten, it's thirty five. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I don't want it. He's like, I don't want it either. <laughs> yeah, ten bucks, take it. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of funny. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know. No, I, I think uh, camera shows. I I hope that the younger crowd out there, you know, the hipsters, you know, they they uh, if they hear of something going on, I know that uh um whether well, so SoCal camera show in California, 
um, you know, they're doing that, which, you know, more power to them. Uh, I, I think every city and state needs to have, um, you know, these types of shows, um, you know, just for a gathering of the community because we're so spread apart, you know, an art walk or something like that uh, definitely does help bring us a little bit closer together. So. 100%. Yeah. I think it's important to have that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it's, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, getting into like the very beginning of uh, acquiring camera gears and uh, camera gear lenses um, in the very beginning, it, it almost felt uh, like I was the only person doing it. Uh, very hard to come across somebody that actually was doing the same thing. Uh, uh, so now, you know, fast forward, you know, everybody wants a, a piece of it and everybody wants to be in film and lenses and even if it's collecting or if it's shooting. Uh, I think there's definitely more shooters out there than, than collectors and certain cameras, you know, shouldn't be a shelf queen. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I give credit to the individuals that did collect and put it on the shelf because that's why we have, you know, Mint M4s and Mint M3s and, uh, you know, Hasselblad X-Pans that are in great shape because people didn't take them out of their boxes. So That X-Pan, that, that's a unicorn camera for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw somebody had one listed, uh, I think, in, like, Western Pennsylvania, but they were, or maybe it was, like, West Virginia, but I think they wanted, like, eight grand, which, that's a lot. <laughs> it, it is a lot. It's, but it's a cool camera, though. Like, yeah. that, that one is definitely, like, that or one of those, um, what is it, the, the one that Jeff Bridges shoots. Oh, yeah, the Wide Lux. Yeah, the Wide Lux. Those, those seem kind of cool too. Yeah, the the hard part about the wide looks is that uh, when you shoot it, you have to make sure you kind of just like sort of grip it out, because if you try to hold it like a thirty five, uh, it will your your fingers will be in the shot. So uh, kind of have to thinly grip the camera in order to because uh, it's a wide it, lens and it's then it's panning. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Do the Horizons have that same problem too, or is that just a wide lux problem? I think it's just a wide lux problem because I think the uh, Horizons, I, I don't think they go further than like 120 degrees. If I'm, uh, I, I think I'm correct. I could be wrong though. And uh, Jordan to Don 91 has a question. Do you guys know any sites I can get decent prices on medium format cameras? Uh. <laughs> That's tough. Um, I, I think uh, medium format cameras a year ago, yes, you can probably find them for a pretty good price. But um, supply and demand, you know, it like at the shop right now, I think I have about 20 or 30 uh, medium format cameras and prices do vary. You know, if you're looking for Hasselblad 500 CMs, you know, unfortunately, those prices are just going up. Um, the only time that you're going to be able to find a piece of equipment for cheap <laughs> or at a decent price is that they just don't know what they have. That's fair. Yeah, I can't believe how much film or camera prices have shot up. Like, mm -hmm. I was just even looking at the F5 because I wanted to get maybe like a, a backup body. And like, hell, I paid um, under 300 bucks for it. Yeah. Like four years ago. And I saw what they're going for now, and it's just like, oh yeah, and, and and that's the thing, like you know, if it's in the box, mint condition, 
you know, you're going to pay, you know, a, a pretty penny. But, um, you know, if you find a, a nice user and it's functional and working, you know, the camera's going to work the same. You know, it's just not going to look as nice. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, you know, RZ, RZ, you know, six sevens, um, you know, they're great cameras. Uh, you know, the I remember looking at RB six sevens at a camera show about three years ago, and they were only selling for about $250. Um, so there's definitely a um, medium format is hot right now. Uh, and unfortunately, price point, you know, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's like Hansel, so hot right now. <laughs> yeah. Jordan <laughs> yeah. says that he has a 690, but it kills his back when he puts it in his bag. Um, I just saw a cool camera the other day that maybe you should try and check out something similar to it. Um, it was the GF670. It's like a folding 6x7. Oh, yeah. Thing was wicked crazy like so small so light yeah the, it, that's the one that uh is the like almost like a bessa 3 the new version it, it basically fuji made one and and voigtlander uh made one as well uh it's identical mm -hmm. camera if it's the one i'm thinking of yeah so what, what Taki was telling me last night because we were talking about it um they fuji contracted casino to make it for them yeah yeah, there's there's a lot of that intermingling with certain cameras. Like even like one of my favorite cameras is a Roly 35 RF. Uh, basically, it's a Bessa R2, uh, or you know, it's uh, yeah a Bessa R2. Uh, Cosina uh, is the manufacturer of it, but everybody kind of dabbles together. So it looks like a a Roly, uh, a Roly, but it, or it looks like a Bessa, but it's a Roly. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, if you type in a Roly 35RF uh, as for rangefinder, um, it's a basically a gray-bodied Roly uh, that shoots like a M lenses. Gives you a third, uh, if I remember correctly, a 35 millimeter frame line, 40, and an 80 millimeter. And the 80 is for the Hexanon. Uh, Damn, this thing looks badass. Yeah, it's a metered. It's a Vesa R2, but gray. But that's that's my shooter. I actually don't have it with me on this trip, but I love Roly so much too. <laughs> like I've got a Roly XF35 that's like one of my favorite cameras. Oh yeah, the cool yeah. Range series are great. And then, have you tried the uh, the Roly Paul and Reinhold film yet? Not yet. I actually want to get Roly in the shop, like Roly film in general, because everybody keeps on asking for it. So, uh, in the near future. The, the Paul and Reinhold is pretty cool. It was like an anniversary um, special edition film. So it, it comes in, there's two in each roll, and um, one is labeled Paul and the other one's labeled Reinhold. <laughs> nice. And they're, uh, it's a 640 ISO film, but you can shoot it from, um, I think the range is 320 to 1600. Mm. That's so, nice. Good range. It's a very cool film. I've been shooting a ton of it because Downtown Camera got a bunch before I left and it was a good price. So I ended up scooping up a bunch of it before I left Toronto. Oh, yeah. the um, There was a dealer in Canada. I forget his name. Maybe Gary Perry or somebody was a dealer of Roly film out there. Um, there's a couple of films that people were asking for recently, but you just can't, can't get it. And I think it was a Roly a film. 
It's like, uh, I forget, bird something. I can't remember what it is. Oh, the, um, the crossbird. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. For that stuff. This, this is a cool film. Um, and it, it says, shoot smart, use film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's a cool film, but it, it hasn't been around for a, a while. Um, it, it, well, and that's the thing that you, you, if you find expired film, you find it in pockets or, you know, it, new, newly produced film, everybody scarfs it up. Um, and, you know, there's a, a thing about hoarding film. And then there's a, you know, like when you have hundreds of thousands of roles or, you know, really kind of going way overboard. Um, but I, I think I'm like a mini hoarder because like I don't hoard that big, but it's like, you know, I, I really like Crossbird. So I bought like a dozen rolls of crossbird and they've been sitting in my fridge for like the, the last year. And then, um, Ferrania P30 fell in love with that and bought a whole bunch of that. And... Yeah. I, I think acquiring film, like some people will go to the you know extent of getting like a hundred rolls and never shooting with it. And, you know, I think a couple fridges full of film is not a bad thing. Uh, uh, but when you start going into storage units and that type of thing, uh, that kind of, that's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think I'm super bad because I've just got a mini fridge and then my Polaroid large format stuff spills over into the food fridge. Mm -hmm. But I was just thinking about it the other day because I have all this film and I'm like, oh, I should really buy some portrait because like I don't have any like 400 film. And it's just like, but I have all this old Cinestill 800 that I need to shoot because I've had it for like some of it for like two years. Yeah. And so it's like, I got to use that shit up. And then I have a bunch of Portrait 800 that I bought from the first Kodak price hike. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. I, I think those price hikes are kind of, I think they know they have us. And, uh, you know, yes, I could understand companies growing and or, you know, taking advantage of the demand. Uh, but, you know, when you're when your main film Portrait 400 is you can't even touch it. You know, like you, you know, your prices are going through the roof, and you know, orders are back ordered because you know you're everybody's just back ordered, um, and dangerous. You know, dangerous in that right. And you know, Ilford increasing their prices, Fuji increasing their prices. It's almost like a tit for tat. And um, yeah. who's gonna fold or who's gonna stop? And uh, I'm not sure who will, because like as long as there's demand and there's a ton of demand, thanks to lots of the, you know, creator videos out there getting people hyped up on film, and so people are yeah. buying cameras, and you're getting people starting that it's like you know twenty bucks for a roll of portrait is normal because that's what they started with, where it's like right. I remember back in my day when yeah. portrait cost nine bucks or something. Oh yeah, and. You know, you you think about it. You know, just last year, you know, Portra was what like forty three bucks for a pro pack, yeah, uh, in that neighborhood, and now it's like fifty five dollars or more. Um, you know, and we're only talking in a short period of time. Uh, yeah, it's you know, I I hope uh, they don't scare people out of the market um, because as they increase the price and the demand is there, you know, who's going to spend twenty dollars for a roll of Portra, and how many people are going to commit to it? It depends on how many people make YouTube videos reviewing Portra. Yeah. yeah. All right. Maybe, like, stop talking about it. You know, everybody's going to start buying. Everybody's going to start mm -hmm. buying up all the Portra. Exactly. We got we to stop with that. Um, what's, uh, what's, 
Let's let's drive up Ilford XP two four hundred. Yeah, yeah. The which one? Ultrafine. Oh, ultra good, yeah. The Kentmere Ultrafine. Mm. Yeah, that that's like that's a super underrated film too. Yeah, I think. Um... Well, and that's also the the consumer films are becoming harder to come by. Um, you know, at least in the in the orders, you know, trying to acquire it. You know, every single time I get shut down, I just tried ordering. I think it was like a thousand, a thousand or two thousand rolls of C two hundred from a supplier that I have, and can't get it. So yeah. it's uh, hang on to your film, but also shoot it <laughs> or hoard it in a respectful manner. Storied says, uh, I think if you hoard film, you're sitting on memories. Film is meant to be shot. The more you shoot, the better photographer you can become. I can't, like, I'm, I mostly agree with that. Um, but sometimes there's some people out there that shoot that it doesn't matter how much film they burn. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's some people that just burn it, you know. Yeah. Go straight. Having fun. Who cares? Like you know, enjoy yourself. Definitely. Well, uh, Story Road is definitely. A, he's a good guy. I bought a lot of cameras from him in the past. And actually, fairly recently, and I I got to pick up that Kodak sign from you, Brad. <laughs> nice. Um, where is it, Joe? Oh, hey, Joe. And Joe says, "Do you think we'll see a relaunch of 400H similar to what we saw with the relaunch of Acros?" I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I, I think for how they, um, you know, ended it so abruptly, um, you know, I, I think that we won't see it, um, okay. you know, just because of the uh, color layers, you know, they're having a lot of difficulty with that. Uh, even, you know, coming under fire under the EPA in the U.S. for, um, you know, the Vel Velvia film uh, with the carcinogens and stuff like that, that they're, you know, deeming it unfit for sale in the U.S.A. Um, you know, stuff like that, I think is going to become more prevalent and, uh, yeah, you just can't put crap in your, in the film and then expect people to process it, you know, and then I guess inhale it. I don't know. Maybe people are eating it, you know, Belvia film. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, that, it does say like when you load, um, when you load Instax, yeah, where is it? Do not put in mouth. So... <laughs> It makes me wonder, it's like, how many times did something happen where someone ate an Instax that required Fuji to write on every single Instax photo that goes out, do not put in mouth? Yeah, you know that, that there was some kind of lawsuit somewhere that they then they had to put it in there. Uh, you know, somebody ate it and because they didn't say it, now they got to put it on all their film. It's crazy. Yeah. This is why we can't have nice things. But, you know, Polaroid doesn't have that. So maybe that says something about Instax shooters versus Polaroid shooters. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, the EPA kills a lot of things. But they also try to protect the environment, which is important, especially given the fact that, like, most of it's on fire right now. And then we're having really weird weather patterns and stuff. Like, you know, there's a fucking tornado in Barrie like two hours from Toronto where I lived, like that took out a button. It was just like, how did a tornado hit there? Like, it's, it's, yeah, they don't have. Yeah, they, they don't happen there. So it's just like, 
how how the hell did that end up happening? So it's just the the planet's mad at us right now. Yeah, I agree. So Gabe Film Geek says Polaroid should print do not shake. They absolutely should. Outcast that's the biggest lie <laughs> that Outcast has perpetuated that you should shake well, like a Polaroid picture. Yeah, the chemical won't set and then you're just you're actually fuzzing them out. So Yeah. The shot. Yeah, and if you really if you shake it aggressively enough, you'll ruin the shot. Yeah. Don't yeah. shake You never should. It's it's interesting like the the chemical magic that happens inside one of these things that people have no real uh, realization. Oh yeah, no, it's a uh, definitely a you know amazing process. I hope somebody comes back with it and uh, you know even the peel apart. You know, like when I used to shoot for fun and uh, you know in in the early on, like that was my you know thing. I used to get an eight by ten Deerdorf, you know, shoot Type fifty four, Type fifty five film. And uh, you, you'd have your negative, you know, with your positive, which was amazing, you know. Type 55 is such a magical film. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think actually uh, when, I, when I bought the shop, there's also, um, I might give it away. There's uh, some Polaroid uh, peel apart, uh, some professional stuff that's been in the fridge for probably about 15 years now, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> We could talk some turkey about that. I'm interested. Um, the Type 55 is interesting too, though. So, Type 55 happened because of Ansel Adams. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing that a lot of people may not be aware of with Polaroid. Polaroid employed a whole ton of artists. Like they were either on Polaroid's payroll or they were sponsored by Polaroid. And yeah. Ansel Adams was one of the artists that was on Polaroid's uh, payroll to help them like develop and test film and stuff. And uh, he thought the peel apart was cool, but he's like, this is shit unless I can have a negative. Yeah, and, uh, it is. Yeah. And so that's, they were like, okay, well, Ansel says this is shit until we can have a negative. So we need to figure out a way to make a negative. And they made type 55 because of Ansel Adams. Yeah. Is it? Um, Story Road asks, if film becomes too expensive, why not try to make the processing reasonable so that people can still enjoy it, keeps film alive, and don't want to see it go away again? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, even for, you know, labs to process, you know, it, chemicals, chemical availability, um, you know, I was batting around the idea of uh, with my lab, to offer you know discounted processing um you know or you know don't throw down the drains everybody does it all the time you know that's what's ruining our uh you know waterways you're just dumping things uh you know the silver is really the killer you know if you're going to get rid of things you know developer's not so bad the fixer that's what's gonna you know do it but um but yeah i would say uh somebody out there you know, definitely produce uh, chemicals, you know, makes it a little bit more affordable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Sinistel's done a good job of making it easier with with their um, chemical... Dev kits, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Chris uh, Cohen makes a point here. What's up, Chris? That DIY processing is, is getting pretty accessible through kits like that. And 
it's really not that hard. Like, actually, I like developing. I just hate scanning. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's uh, Catch-22. You know, I, I think the magic of the lab, um, you know, people love shooting film, but then they, you know, I, I have my own shop. I have my own lab. I'm kind of downplaying it. Uh, you know, the idea of, you know, processing your own film, you know, taking the opportunity to see how the magic happens and, uh, you know, get your hands wet. You know, maybe wear gloves with chemicals, but, you know, you get the idea. I'm ter I never wore gloves when I worked in the darkroom. I was terrible with it. I like the way the paper felt in the trays. Um, I mean, when I had access to a darkroom, I would do more of my own processing because I was printing the photos in, in the darkroom. So I didn't have to worry about scanning or whatever. Um, but yeah, like some labs do a great job of making it super accessible, like Downtown Camera in Toronto. Um, I think they're going to get my money forever just because they've made it so easy to, to do where it's just like the system that they've set up there where you drop your film off and if they're doing dev scan for you, you get a text message or an email with like a link to your uh, photos and you can download them through that and view them through there, share them through there. And mm -hmm. it just made it super easy because it's just like I drop off my film, I give them money and then I get pictures. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, going through the process of shooting the film and actually going into the darkroom and printing, you know, I, I think a lot of people miss that process. Um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, will be in, embedded in my brain for, you know, how the process works and, you know, the magic of seeing it on photographic paper and having it appear and being able to dodge and burn and, you know, really kind of, have at it, you know, if you get a really cool shot, taking the time to, um, you know, manipulate it through light. And, uh, but, you but know, yeah. Raymond Pembroke yeah. says that the Epson V600 is a great way to get started with scanning for not too much money. Oh yeah. I, I think any flatbed scanner is going to do a great job to a degree. Uh, you know, when you start getting like the Newton rings or, you know, um, it's a it's a never-ending battle uh but you know the the more that you know the the thing about film photographers is you want to be out there shooting you don't want to be stuck inside scanning um you know and that's why labs exist uh, you know like when i do uh at my lab you know we scan 3000 dpi like let us do it you know go out have fun shoot um you know if you're the person that's going to go and you know be in the dark room and play around more power to you um, I think the quality of images are better um, through, uh, you know, through the darkroom itself. Not the darkroom, the business, but the darkroom as in at your house. That's fair. But I mean, like, Phil and the gang, they're great over there at the dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, with, with your store, though, um, are you looking at maybe or thinking about at some point having like a community darkroom or something where like, you know, people could come in and learn and, and rent out the darkroom to do prints and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's actually already a darkroom uh, in the lab at the moment. Um, right now we have a big machine called a Chromira, which does like gigantic process, you know, chemical process prints. Um, you know, we do have uh, two brand new V35 Leica enlargers that I kind of want to take advantage of, you know, having people use, uh, you know, I think uh, I think it's a great idea. You know, I think I'll start to offer that at some point. Uh, 
Um, there's also the idea of uh, opening up an Airbnb uh, on the third floor and having like an analog experience uh, where you know individuals can choose from a collection of cameras that are there, have a selection of film available, stay, have your favorite IPA or your favorite you know on the rocks drink, and uh, be able to kind of tour Reading or you know the area. That's cool. Dabble in the darkroom as well, you know, within the same Airbnb space. That's very cool. Yeah, I saw some of your uh, pictures of the office space there too, and that whole building looks really cool. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, it's um, they had a lot of storage units, so the idea of this space, you know, I actually, I think, I keep on saying it's nine thousand square feet. It's actually ten thousand, which I searched okay. through data, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> we're basically uh, trying to fill it as much as we can, and. Uh, I was explaining to some people that walked into the shop just as like a tour to visit. Um, and the idea of the shop is to, um, it's like when you buy a pair of shoes and you grab the, you know, one shoe off the wall and you want that uh, particular type in a certain size. Well, the idea of, you know, like an FM2N, you pick it off the shelf, you might want that. And then you have a choice of them to choose from. So, um, you know, the idea of having many cameras in one space, um, you know, we carry a lot. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop, but for the analog. And it's, I think you go to a lot of camera shops wherever you go, and there's a lot of digital gear. But then there's like a very small section of film cameras. This is the opposite. This is going to be the opposite. This is, uh, you know, like 300 film cameras on the shelf and all the lenses to choose from. And... Um, yeah, and, and you know some of the stuff that I carry is more high end, uh, but even this trip today, um, you know, there's you know 1,000 35 millimeter SLRs, you know, and all primes, and so people can have you know AE ones, K one thousands, the whole shebang. So my friend Chris here says that he wishes he could find a rewind knob for his FM two N, which is a dig I at me because. I have a rewind knob for him that I was supposed to mail him like <laughs> years ago. I don't know where the fuck I put it between my move from Toronto to Vancouver. So, well, if you have, if you need one, I have one. All right, maybe we'll talk Turkey about that. <laughs> cool. He lost it on a photo walk one of the last times I was visiting him up in Edmonton. It it had just like spun off while we were walking around. And yeah, it, it happens a lot. You know, I, I think everybody that's watching this or may watch it in the future, you know, check your rewind knobs. They they tend to fall off. You know, just make sure they're tight. Yeah, on, on my F5, I've noticed that there's a few times where I've had to tight, like, the there's a little Phillips screw under yeah, the. That. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I, I've had to tighten that up because I've almost lost it. And I've lost countless rubber. Um, I got. Yeah, the the I not not the I cup, but like just the little rubber that goes uh, goes around, and uh, yeah, I've lost so many of those. Yeah, it, you know, small little accessories, and that's the biggest part. Is like you know, even through Camera Center of York, like we have a big selection of accessories. You know, things like that that fall off. Very likely, you could find it. But yeah, somebody says Loctite. You could use Loctite. You could use nail polish whatever it is on that set screw and I'll at least keep that in place. Um, and that's also, I think that what you mentioned, the GF 670, 
um, you know, the rangefinder falls out of place. And when we do the service, we use a little bit of, I, we don't like to use Loctite, we use just a nail polish to okay. place. But those particular cameras are known to have that issue of like, if you banged it off something, you know, the rangefinder falls out quickly. Mm. That makes sense. It, it does, it felt a little delicate compared to like the GW690. Yeah, it's it's a completely different animal, and they actually make a wide version as well, uh, which is a little bit harder to come by. Um, let's see, uh, what is it? It says, uh, uh, Brad says, by the way, you mentioned a Rolly 35XF. Awesome camera. Yeah, he said he sold one to me. That was a couple, couple months, maybe a month or two ago. They, they are such a fun camera, and, and Chris, the guy who's shitting on me about the FM2N <laughs> um, rewind knob, he gave me uh, the XF 30, uh, 35XF that I have because he wasn't using it much. And um, I ended up loving the heck out of that camera. Like it's one of my favorite for street because the shutter on it is is quiet. Like there's like yeah. nothing to it. Just a little little snap, you barely hear it. Yeah, just like a click. That's basically it. Um, super quiet. And I think it's a two f2 lens the pretty like um wide aperture on it which is kind of nice yeah i think a lot of those rolly cameras um you know i think there was a, a, a point where people loved them and then it kind of went away uh but you know I, I think any of the rolly 35 35 s's are great cameras and uh either 35 or 28 depending on what the sonar um or the i guess nr um Either way, you know, definitely saw little cameras. And I think, uh, what was it? Um, um, it's a brand I carry. I can't even remember. Uh, the Kex meter. Um, the, they made a uh, meter that, that those cameras, because the hot shoe is on the bottom of the camera, not on the top. So yeah. it actually flip uh, when using. Yeah, that's kind of, an, kind of weird how they're like that. Like, I've got one of those little rollies with the collapsible lens, mm -hmm. and it's Weird that the hot shoes on the bottom on those ones. Yeah, I I think uh, I guess I'm sure you've been asked what is your uh, a weird camera that you've always wanted to acquire. A weird camera that I've always wanted to acquire. Maybe maybe something that's like um, not mainstream. I think there's, you know, always the, a lot of talk about, you know, Pentax 6.7s and RB6.7s and uh, AE1s. I think, like, the, the one that I really, really, like, would love to get my hands on at, at some point is, like, like, a really old Deerdorf 8x10. Yeah. Like, the old school ones. Like, when he was using like reclaimed bar tops and shit to like make the cameras. Um, Cause I've heard like fabled stories of like those old Deerdorfs like having like cigarette burns and water stains in them because of the, the materials he was using. And that's kind of like one of those like weird ones that I've, I've always wanted to get since I heard about that, that kind of uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah, Deerdorfs have uh, been, has kind of a special place in my heart uh you know one of uh one of the photographers that was my mentor he ended up giving me an eight by ten uh deerdorf and 
an amazing camera. You know, it was actually uh, one way I learned to take pictures. It was kind of a backwards way. I learned on an 8x10 Deerdorf and uh, learned the, the process backwards where I was doing long exposures before I was doing normal exposures. Um, but, uh, you know, I would recommend a uh, Deerdorf that has the swings and tilts and rises and falls and not just the basic standard one. Um, but, yeah, I, I would get behind you on that one. For me, I would say would be a uh, Ilford Witness. Um, Ilford, Ilford made several different types of cameras, uh, but the Ilford Witness is a unicorn. I've only seen one, and I've seen one in Toronto. Um, it's a rangefinder. It's badass. It weighs a ton, and uh, you know I think uh, blows like out of the water for design. Oh. This thing looks wicked awesome. Yeah, yeah. Was it like, was it their sort of clone of a Leica 3 kind of thing? or? It, it sort of, yeah. It just was, you know, over-engineered camera. And the quality of design was phenomenal. And you kind of see that with other brands out there. They kind of come out with one amazing camera and then they just fall off. Um, but yeah, like Ilford made like a, I think they have a sportsman camera, which is, in my opinion, crappy. Uh, and then this thing, which is amazing. That's I love the, the lettering for witness on it too. Like it, that's a wild looking camera. Yeah. That's neat. I mean, one of the other ones too is like, um, I can't remember the model number of it, but it's a Fuji ultra wide medium format. 617. Yeah. Somebody just put one down. Yeah. I want to see. Yep. Those, those are kind of like crazy too, where it's got like a huge cage over the lens because it's just so beefy. Oh, yeah. You have that. And then you also have to put a, uh, a center filter on it so you don't get vignetting throughout your shot because you'll have fall off, you know, light fall off. Oh, yeah. That's right. Because it's such a freaking wide. Like, you would get like two two or three shots out of a roll with that thing it's yeah i'm not sure the exact uh, you know shots that you can get out of it but yeah it's a uh, and i think another camera that doesn't get a lot of chat right now uh, or hasn't in a long while is a uh, sylvestri camera uh sylvestri made like a uh, medium or a large format camera and okay. the design is just ultra slimline almost reminds you of a uh an Alpha, you know, the, the medium format Alpha camera. Yeah, those are cool too. I just recently got into mucking around with the, the Soviet Zorkis. Mm -hmm. um, I gotta say, I really like this, the, the Zorkis. They're pretty cool too. Like if, if you're wanting to get into um, 35 mil rangefinders and you don't have Leica money, um, yeah, oh, it, it gets your foot in the door. And, you know, the design, I think, I think you'll feel it in the winding mechanism. It's a little bit kind of looser, not as, you know, uh, arty, if you yeah. can do that. Um, but, you know, you don't have to have like a money. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of cameras out there that got a lot of hype in the beginning, uh, you know, maybe in like the 90s, the 80s. Uh, but, I think as people are dabbling in other brands out there, they're kind of seeing the light, like, you know, Hanukkah or Pentax or, 
um, you know, so, they, yeah. It's it's not a um, it's not a film camera. Um, but what was the? So okay, so this this is one one of the ones that I have always kind of wanted to was the Epson RD one. Yeah, it's almost like a thirty-five Ti. Yeah, almost. Um, that's that's a cool one with like the. Um, they they didn't make them very long either. Like they only made them from two thousand four to two thousand seven. Yeah. And how many? They didn't make they didn't make many of them. They they're phenomenal cameras. I actually don't see many of them. Uh, when I do, I try to take the opportunity to acquire them. I, I wouldn't blame you. And six megapixels isn't that bad. Because um, I've got I've got a Kodak DCS seven sixty, which is like the F five with the six megapixel body grafted on the back of it. Yeah. And, um, I that one's cool with the six megapixel. And I I bought Chris a um, I think it was D two X. It's like the six megapixel D two. Yeah, yeah. We were gonna do like a series of like six megapixel like you know books or something where it's just like six megapixels are bust. Well, the thing about uh, we were having this chat um, yesterday is about megapixels. Like everybody kind of goes mental about the high megapixel cameras, but uh, spacing on like an APS-C sensor at six megapixel, you would have um, there's so much light gathering within that range. Right now, you have like such a m small pixels at like 40 megapixel um, that it can't gather the light, and that's why they have the ISO adjustments. Um, but in the past, you would shoot like a, a Nikon D40, 6.1 megapixel. That camera has amazing, amazing uh, light gathering qualities per pixel. Um, I think uh, a lot of people kind of go on that bandwagon of you know bigger bigger best you know type of uh mentality yeah i never thought about it that way but that makes a ton of sense because it's just like just because you have all these megapixels doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to pull advantage of them even in scan quality you know going from scans you know um everybody's always hell-bent about you know uh, a high dpi and 17 megabyte but the only time that you're actually going to see that quality is when you print it on your screen, it's going to look the same damn thing, you know, at, you know, uh, a lower res, unless you're, you know, 72 DPI and it's like, you know, completely uh, low res. So I've kind of found that interesting too, because I'm, I'm a little bit cheap sometimes. And so when I get my scans from downtown camera, I just order the JPEG scans, which are 72 DPI scans. Um, but the quality of them has been decent enough that I've done 11 by 14 prints with them that look fine. Oh yeah. Uh, I've done book projects with them that look fine. <clears throat> and I've never really needed to have like super crazy high res, uh, scans for any of the output that I've done so far. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of, uh, same thing with uh, high resolution or higher megapixel cameras. Um, if you're not printing those sizes, you're not going to see it. Like if you're looking to put it on Instagram, you're not going to see it. You know, it, it's, it's pointless to pay that kind of money unless you're going to really use it. Um, yeah. You know, for uh, 
you know, my shop, we scan 3000 DPI. That's your only choice. We don't give you a low res scan. We don't give you a, you know, a medium res. We just give you 3000 and that's it. Um, and we don't charge you for it because, you know, it, take, it takes as much time to do 72 or a low res to do a high res as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's like uh, $9 for uh, the scans at 3000 DPI, which some people charge much more. Um, and it still gives you a 17 meg file. So, um, you know, when we send it, we send it uh, as a compressed file and the compressed file just for Dropbox or anything will give you, it opens up uh, as a thumbnail as two megabyte, uh, which doesn't seem like much of anything, but if you go into Photoshop or Lightroom, then it kicks it into the higher and it uncompresses. Yeah, Chris says, I think there's a point that is reached quite easily in small print where resolution is diminishing returns and often unnoticeable. And then Doug Hansen said, plus one for the Zorky and word up to Doug Hansen. If you want to learn how to do tintype or like play with like large format stuff and you're in the Chicagoland area, look up Doug Hansen art. The guy, he's wicked brilliant. Mm. Yeah, in, in the before time, um, I was planning on going to Chicago to learn the ways of tintype from Doug and maybe one day in the future. No, I think tintype, uh, you know, and you can actually easily do it. There's, um, uh, I have a friend in Lancaster that, uh, you know, used to do a lot of tintypes and you can buy, you know, the silver and the mixes and everything, you know, and, you know, the more potent that you can make it, you know, in the collodion, the better. Um, they were also showing you kind of how to make the uh, the hard cases, you know, that you would get with any kind of tintype. And uh, just recently, I actually acquired um, a really cool tintype. It was a Civil War soldier, uh, I think, holding his uh, sword. Um, and, oh, cool. uh, you know, it had like a picture of uh, like the Lincoln Memorial or something in the background and really weird stuff. But um, no, I think uh, tintypes are awesome. And they'll last for our kids' kids, and then and more, you know, if they're done right. The, the photo is, like, created at a molecular level because it bonds it to the metal, which is, like, super wild. So as long as you treat it properly, they'll, they'll like, last forever. Yeah, there's also, um, you know, just as we sat here, um, uh, what's the individual's name in New York? Through the Numbra Foundation uh, in New York City, um, Jeffrey uh, Berlinger, I think his name is, he does a lot of collodion process uh, and uh, a lot of cool stuff that comes out of that place. Doug uh, is asking contact for hard cases. Contact for hard cases. Mm. What kind of hard cases? For the tintype. Oh, um, you can check out... Uh, a friend of mine, uh, you could probably get in contact. It's uh, uh, at Olay or at Photolay Photography. And uh, he, uh, he can get you in contact with that individual. Cool. Sorry, my battery's at 20%. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, we can, uh, we can wrap it up here. Doug, maybe, um, oh yeah, there. Um, Thanks, Zach. Zach shared that in there for you, Doug. But uh, yes, your battery's running out, so we will uh, we'll let you go here. Um, appreciate you uh, you know, spending some time chatting with me and for everyone tuning in. It was really great. Uh
All right. Thanks, Merlin. Uh, Till next time, and we'll chat about uh, some film. Yeah, I'm looking forward to like you know we could we could do one where we uh, could check out the shop. Um, that'd be a lot of fun too. And um, and then next week is going to be an exciting episode. It's the one year anniversary of Photography Chat. Um, and we're going to have Jason Moore, who was the original first guest joining me for an actual photo chat, because the first episode that Jason and I did, I think we ended up talking more about Nicolas Cage than we did about <laughs> photography. So <laughs> we'll have an actual photo chat this time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Merlin. And uh, we'll uh, keep in touch and maybe catch you on Clubhouse, maybe at some point. Definitely. Sounds good, man. All right. Safe take it travel easy. and uh, everyone stay safe out there. See ya. All right. Bye.